Alex Gibney, and you're listening to Film Wax Radio. Hi, this is Adam Shartoff, your host of Film Wax Radio. It's Friday, January 15th, 2021, and this is episode number 651. So typically when I uh, I have people on, you know, from films, those are the most frequent guests, whether they're a filmmaker or actor or producer or somebody like that. But on occasion, I dip outside. And so this isn't a very big stretch by any means. It's just that this first segment coming up uh, of the two is regarding a web series that came onto my uh, radar some time ago, because one of the producers is a friend of mine who I've known for many years, Jack Lechner, and who was on this podcast before. Jack and I met, I was still working in the music industry. So, wow. Wow. It had to be 15... Oh my goodness. So yeah, it had to be over 15 years ago where we met because, uh, yeah, I was still working at Sony Music and I was interested in getting out of that industry and into the film world somehow. I wasn't really sure what that might look like, but I think Jack and his wife, we had already been sharing a lovely nanny together. We both had very young children at the time. And uh, so my then-wife mentioned, well, why don't you talk to Jack? He's a professional film producer. He had already produced Fog of War for Errol Morris and many other films and, and theater. He, he, so, so we met, and he took this time for me, you know, this you know punk, but he, he's such a nice guy. He's a warm guy. Anyway, we've kept in touch over the years, and he, he recently came on as a Columbia film faculty member. I'm forgetting now what we talked about, but he came on some time ago. Anyway, I invited him back on for this new web series called Group. And I got to tell you, it is pretty interesting and wonderful, of a web series. Uh, you could just go to YouTube and search Group, the series. It'll come right up. And Jack brought with him on the segment the writer and director of the series, Alexi Lloyd. And uh, Alexis or Alexi Lloyd, from he's who's in Paris, I believe. Well, he's certainly in France, if not Paris. Anyway, uh, it follows a therapy group. They're all professional actors, except for the actual therapist, who, or I should say, for the leader, who's the therapist, Doctor Ezra, who is an actual therapist named Elliot Zeisel, and he is portraying a variation of himself. I suppose. And he's also a producer on this uh, series. So he's very central to it. But these group of actors are terrific. And at first you're like, well, this is a little mannered, a little actorly. But then very quickly, within minutes of watching this, you just get absorbed. And you realize these people are really good actors because they are very credible and you should always remember, I guess on some level, that this is not a documentary. That this is a work of art. And so I was excited to bring on Alexi and Jack 
and and that's who we're going to talk to. So we're going to talk to the director, writer, and the producer, a producer on this series. They've shot off one full season. They are in the midst of the second season, which had to be done through Zoom, like we are all doing. In fact, I'll say right now that this a segment you're about to hear is also available on YouTube, on the Filmworks Radio YouTube channel, and you can watch it. And what I would like to do, because I was just so uh, impressed, I suppose, with these actors and with this idea, that um, I've invited them on to do a second episode, perhaps with um, some of the actors next time. So maybe in the coming weeks we'll we'll do that. But the series uh, involves eight New Yorkers who uh, explore hidden truths about their own intimacy, loneliness, sexuality, and fears. And the the series is inspired by a novel called The Schopenhauer Cure by the author Irvin Yalom. And so get ready for some intense stuff. I mean, this is very real. My own parents, as I discuss in this conversation in a moment, were in group therapy for many years. So I'm, I, I, no, I did not sit in in those therapy sessions. I, I certainly by osmosis got quite a lot of information and got to know uh, growing up my parents' group therapy members quite well. Because unlike this group, which does not suppose, which does not socialize outside, typically, my parents they were very close friends with most of the people in their group. They saw each other frequently outside of the group. So, enjoy this conversation about this series again. You can find a group on YouTube, all the first season, and I think a good section, a few episodes of the second season should be available. Uh, so, so subscribe to them and subscribe to the Filmwax Radio YouTube channel. After that, old Filmwax Radio friend Sam Pollard back on the show. I think this is his fourth or fifth visit. He's got a new documentary called MLK FBI, which is opening today, Friday, the 15th of January. We'll talk about that in a little bit after this first segment. And there's a retrospective at uh, Lincoln Center, the film at Lincoln Center going on starting today, January 15th for him, where they're going to play a bunch of his films virtually on a retrospective. And then lastly, there's a couple more projects coming up in the coming weeks, which is pretty incredible. This is a very prolific filmmaker. Sam Pollard, one of my favorite guys, back on the podcast. That too, by the way, available on our YouTube channel. But first, here is Group the Series, uh, writer-director Alexi Lloyd, and executive producer Jack Lechner, only here on Film Wax Radio. We have a new member. Uh, my, uh, my name is Henry. So, Henry, you're a group virgin, huh? <laughs> There's nothing under the sun that you can't talk about here. I'm jealous. I'm overzealous. I haven't talked to my dad in, like, 15 years. He left when I was 10. I don't talk about my dad. I get angry. Baby, believe me. You have a really hard time accepting love. I guess I just want you to see me. But you don't judge me. I went to a bar, and a man came up to me, and he mis- mistook me for a call girl. And I played along. I feel crazy saying this. Outside of here, it would be crazy, maybe. Yeah. But inside here, where it's safe, we're just talking. 
Yeah. What's crazy about that? Here we go. <laughs> what are you? What is he doing here? In this process, you're going to find yourself participating in exchanges that you, you don't have in polite company. I think I should leave. What exactly happened between the two of you? This feels really violating. It's not like a dinner party. I put all my cards on the table. How many more things do we need to hear? You're no. really being an asshole. I don't trust you remotely. You're here to engage people. If someone doesn't like something, it's their job to tell you. Welcome to group. Hey, Alexis. Hello, pleased to meet you. Pleased to meet you. I wish we had mics like yours for all of our actors. This is just improv. <laughs> no, it puts, you know, it puts the viewer in a good mental state. <laughs> right, right. How are you doing, you Adam? Uh, good. How are you, Jack? Good to see you. I like your um, virtual background. Uh, yeah, it's Alexi's uh, uh, living room in uh, New York. It's a nice where the first season was shot. Right. Um, I, I, I kept looking I, I just have to make clear that uh, he, he's Alexi uh, because he is French. Uh, okay, je comprends. Ah, très bien. On va pouvoir faire tout en français, alors. Merci bien, yes. Uh, j'essaie, je, j'essaie, j'essaie. À parler français. That's oui. about the, uh, compl- the, uh, the extent, Jack. Jacques, more than I can do. We can't, we can't do the whole thing in French, you mean? We'll re- well, what we'll do is do it in English, and then we'll redo it in French. There okay. You, um, you know, as I was watching some of the episodes of your, your uh, web series, it's almost, uh, it's all, it, uh, I don't know, it, it's so well done. I almost want, I, I don't know, like calling it a web series... It's first call. I know. Well, well. See, then I was thinking to myself, uh, my brain is working faster than my mouth. So I was thinking, uh, it's such a good production. This is like you know serial television, episodic television quality. You know. But then I'm thinking, well, don't piss all over web series. <laughs> this just elevates web series. The idea of a web series. It's all which could be just every bit as effective, right? As yeah, any yeah. other. We do want it to be a conventional television series. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was not intended as a web series. No. Oh, okay. So, I don't know. Are we going uh, straight We're just jumping in. We're diving in. We're di- uh, yeah, that's how the show goes. I, I, okay. I apologize. It's no, no. No problem at all. Okay. No, it, it started as possibly a feature film. Then quickly I wanted to do an oh. episodic format. I come from feature films, so uh, that was my initial thought, um, and I acquired the rights to the book. And I started writing the dialogue, and I started writing a you know a hundred pages script, and I I didn't like it enough. So I both decided to really go episodic and 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 go uh, with one session. You know, in the book, it's every session, every chapter is a session. Every other chapter is actually a session of group. Every other other uh, other chapter is a uh, is the storyline of Arthur Schopenhauer. The, the original book is called uh, the Schopenhauer Cure. Um, 
It's written by Irvin Yalom, who is uh, one of the uh, giants of uh, group therapy. Uh, literally wrote the textbook on group therapy. When, when, when was that, Jack? Or uh, uh, he he did that work in the you know forties, fifties, sixties. But uh, um, uh, he's he's now quite elderly, but uh, still oh, working. Still and he's also uh, a novelist, and uh, this is one of his novels, uh, the Schopenhauer Cure. Oh, interesting. I, I should say, by the way, uh, last thing I'll offer up uh, by uh, I guess what's the expression? Laying out your cards to make sure uh, so there's no full putting your cards on the table full disclosure full disclosure that's what i was looking for thank you uh my parents were in therapy I, I, my entire childhood they were in group therapy they were in uh wow we had a family therapist um in the sense that dr factor was like part of the family i mean uh he was at my sister's wedding i mean that was the closest he came on a personal level to ever Yes. Leaving the therapy room, but he did go. He had a very close relationship with my sister in that way. When he died, my sister was very, very, uh, you know. He was uh, a second father. Uh, yeah, yes, there was some of that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but we all attended at some point or other. Yeah. So this, so I'm watching this and then, uh, and, and I don't think you need to have that group therapy experience to fully appreciate the, the, the uh, the artistry of this series, but uh, very very easily get sucked into this and emotional watching it. I mean, you know, within moments. So well done, yeah. Thank you. Well, we should go back to the uh, origin story, which Alexi just started on. Please do. And and don't hesitate to interrupt me because, as Jack knows, you can push on a button. I can talk for four hours. So uh, uh, on 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 this particular topic. So. Just, just interrupt me when you feel it's getting too, too detailed or long-winded or going off. Well, as Dr. Ezra even says, it's we're New Yorkers, so well, you're French. <laughs> Dad, we can interrupt. <laughs> well, I've been in New York for twenty years, you know, so I, I, I am now a, a resident of New York. Um, so yeah, the structure. Uh, listen to me. What, what the project is about is the method, uh, finding the method. Uh, which involved going episodic, uh, doing one session per episode, uh, working with a real psychoanalyst um, and with actors um, and shooting in a way that is very unconventional, which is really uninterrupted 90-minute takes um, with a, you know, um, a combination of very scripted characters, very scripted character, uh, you know, narrative arc, but free dialogue. Um, it is like a piece of free jazz that is, you know, the tone is set, the, um, the, key, the you know, the, lots of things are set, but the actual uh, note variations uh, are of the moment. It is the inspiration of the moment. And I came to that uh, notion that it was critical to have genuine improvisation in the dialogue with very structured, scripted characters combined with a real therapist who was not trying to be an actor, who's doing his thing um, by you know, trying the more conventional way of writing a script 
very quickly, I wanted to do episodic, but you know, in the fashion of writing all the dialogue. Uh, and it just didn't sound quite right. And I went to a convention of group therapy to look for a consultant to help me write the dialogue. And I found Dr. Zeisel, this gentleman, uh, who after a while, you know, I talked to a number of people and he says, you know, I'm interested to talk to you, but if you're serious about your project and if you want to make it different than what's been done in the past 30 or 40 years when psychoanalysis process or psychotherapy process is uh, on screen, you've got to experience it yourself. Uh, you, you, it can't be secondhand, uh, you know, for the past 30, 40 years, we keep seeing great actors doing a good to mediocre job in the actual portraying of the process of the work. Uh, they can do great things about other elements of the life, personal life of a, of a therapist, of a psychiatrist, of a psychoanalyst. But when it comes to the process, it becomes clumsy. It becomes, it, it becomes contrived it doesn't sound right. It doesn't make the music of the real thing. So I joined his group. He invited me to join a group of his for six months to do my research. And I did this. And after a couple of months and trying my, you know, feel in this strange conversation style of, of group therapy, I realized I wanted for sure, because I didn't have that idea initially, to cast him, I mean, to cast a professional therapist and ideally him uh, in the part, as opposed to an actor who would imitate, um, to cast actors who had the gift and the skill, which is a trained skill of improvisation, but could understand uh, the necessity to go deep in the creation of characters that would have a combination of, you know, scripted, fictional, elements based on the book, based on what I created. It, you know, the fictional scripted parts are really 50% from the book, 50% from myself. And then, of course, they would blend it, personal element of their life. But they, I, I told them it was critical that they would not tell anybody, including me, which part was the how they did their blend, because I wanted their blend to become a second nature to them. I didn't want them to be self-conscious about which is, you know, um, everything is real for actors. They believe in what they do. When they create a character, the character becomes real. That's where you know, good acting takes place. And, you know, I, I, I'm part of the actor's studio playwright unit. Uh, and I was really um, impressed by how much parallel and how much... Uh, common ground there was between the exercise actors do in this you know, traditional good work of the actor's studio going back to you know, Elia Kazan and all the great work of the 50s and the 60s and, and, and Kazavets, and, and, which was not actor's studio, but the type of work that was done in the 60s. Sorry, I, I have a sort of double thing happening here. Am I still with you? Yes. Yep. I, I was zoom bombed by my. I was sorry. I was zoom bombed by myself. I had two zoomed in parallel. Oh. <laughs> Something happened. Sorry. Um, Did it correct itself? I turned it off, not by itself. <laughs> oh, um, the, phone, the phone. It went. Uh, anyway. Yeah, the phone. It, anyway, it's 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 good now. Uh, so the way actors and I've seen, you know, 
as a filmmaker, I worked with actors just to train myself in how actors work. And I find it a good inspiration for uh, character building. But the technique, the, the granular technique of uh, actors exercising, creating roles was so vividly um, similar to what is required from uh, group members in modern analysis group therapy, which is the type of group therapy that goes on there, uh, which is a capacity to, to develop a capacity to be in the moment and to be uh, confident enough about the method itself that you don't have to force any agenda, any, you know, you ask actors not to say the line with a certain intention, a preconceived intention uh, on the set. Uh, I found myself several times asking actors to just do it again in a way that is not what they wanted to do initially when they woke up in the morning saying, I want to do this scene this way, but to take the chance of absorbing what the other actors or the context of the day was giving them to react, uh, to absorb it and to, and to use it. Um, that's where I come from in terms of filmmaking and working with actors. I found that it was really exceptionally uh, similar to what a group leader in group therapy is asking the, the group members to do, which is to uh, try not to bring too much from the outside of the room in, but really be present in the moment and react to what goes on in the interaction, the interrelationship between the group members in the moment in the room. This is where it becomes, um, uh, this is where it becomes real, great, unusual, and special. And uh, yeah, my, my long-winded answer is that in order for this to happen, it's a form of, um, you know, eight subconscious minds, eight minds letting their own subconscious react to one another, trusting the method enough, trusting the, the context, the setting, and trusting the group leader enough that they don't need to control everything they say. They can let themselves go more freely and improvise. And when they improvise in the style of group therapy, they don't improvise in a super controlled way, saying lines. They improvise with what they think, their real thoughts and real emotions, like actors, good actors do with the, the good method of, of the actor's studio. They use real emotions of the moment in the room and what the others, uh, you know, other characters give them on the day. And when I realized there was such a parallel uh, between the process of group therapy and what I had learned uh, at the actor's studio and on set working with actors on, you know, through 30 years in film, I realized this is something special. It cannot be written. The dialogue cannot be written. If the characters are structured enough, if the characters are, you know, trusting their own method in creating, the actors are trusting the method in creating the characters, then they can relax and let the words take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. And then it makes that particular music. And, and then frankly, the real work begins. And then the therapeutic process begins as well. And um, so after two months doing research in group, I thought that's really the interesting way of shooting this is to have a real therapist who will really create uh, the feeling of trust and expertise and skill. And it's an art form to be able to do this at the level he does. Um, 
and, and have actors who will be confident in their own skills enough to basically go and surf that wave and that group wave. Uh, and and um, so I came with this idea of shooting uninterrupted 90-minute takes of shooting with a real uh, therapist and, and, shoot, and, and with improvised dialogue. Um, well. Which, you know, so it, and it becomes a whole mess, to be frank. Uh, <laughs> the result is like a, a, it is like, it's full of uh, precious metal. It's like, you know, it's, it's like a, a, a bizarre uh, mountain with, with uh, you know, nuggets of gold uh, buried right. into uh, sort of nasty looking stuff. Um, For a start, you had to convince Elliot Zizel, uh, the therapist, to actually be in it. Well, it took well, me. Yeah, one like, was there? It took me one. I don't know if there's an ethical que- uh, issue. I mean, I don't see it because it's 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 newly scripted content, and it's it's more of a matter of his relationship with his actual patients, if you call them that, within a group. Uh, I want to say one thing and then talk about, you could talk about Elliot. It's yeah. his name, Elliot, right? In the, yes. And he, he looks like he's an Elliot, <laughs> whatever that means. But I wanted to say this, what comes emerges, I have a lot of thoughts about what you said. And by the way, as a, as a sidebar, uh, Alexi, you're the perfect podcast guest because you bring so much and you talk, you have, uh, you are so eloquent about your process and about the, but I hope you're going to edit. You don't have it. to pry anything out of you. I love that. No, I trust your editing skills because no, you know, no, no. There's no editing. It's verite. It's it's like your immersive cinema. You, you're pure, you're created something that's very pure cinema. It's, it's uh, but it, it's also this process that allows for so much discovery about making the show, like things you can never anticipate, but you only can learn through the making of this. So in a way, the episodic is a gift because as you continue doing this and then, and then you have this whole other uh, thing placed on top of it, which is of course the quarantine, which forces you into another direction and level uh, which will provide so much. You're going to learn about yourselves, about the process of doing something like this. And if you're open to it, my gosh, it seems like it's what a gift, you know? Um, It it was not an easy decision to go and shoot the second um, in terms of format. Right. Really the, the second we, season was done on Zoom, in other yeah. words, or whatever the, you did. The, to... fir- the, the first season was really a proof of concept. I, I call it the pilot of the poor. So this is why it was shot my, in my living room um, and uh, with friends, basically. Uh, I mean, real actors, but uh, people helping me to put it together. <clears throat> and, and a wonderful cameraman, Luke Geisbiller, you know, who is really a, a master of the camera and the handheld camera. Um, you, you know, he shot the two Borat films, uh, but also lots of wonderful documentaries. He has a wonderful range of work and um, he's been a real collaborator. Though on this one, he couldn't do anything uh, because... On, on the second know, he, season. On the second season, the second... Uh, well, we call it a season. Uh, it's a bit of a stretch. Uh, it's, I call it the sequel to our proof of concept that we... <laughs> that we, for, we reformat for YouTube. Um, and, you know, when COVID struck, we were uh, in the process of pitching and uh, everything froze. Um, and, and we were presenting, we were presenting as, as a one hour long 
um, oh, okay. these these two sessions, the two sessions of what is now season one on the on the on the web, um, is um, and, the, and and basically it was actually my, my girlfriend works uh, in social media analytics, and I told her I was lamenting and saying, oh, Hollywood is you know shut off, and you know we can't. Do anything she says no we are hyperactive in social media this is really not a quiet time uh, confinement this is a very active time she kept working long hours and she says just put it up put it up on youtube you know segment it in a way that is digestible for youtube and 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 i came to basically recut the hour-long proof of concepts the two one hour long proof of concept into 14 minutes, 15 minutes uh, episodes. We're even going short over the second season with 13 minutes, 12, 13 minutes episode. Uh, so, and I discovered a couple of interesting things is that um, what we were working with, what I was editing, there's a lot to be, uh, interesting stuff to be said about the editing, but basically the, the material we were coming up with was highly malleable in terms of duration and segments. So we could make, you know, uh, easily two half an hour uh, uh, bouts out of a one hour uh, session, but we also could do four uh, 15 minutes piece or five. I, I find lots of places to interrupt this because the interruption in itself becomes interesting. The, inter yeah, the interruption idea. becomes, if it's in the right spot, if it becomes, it becomes like a sort of exclamation point underlying what has just been going on. And I realized it's so dense with interaction and psychological uh, complexity that people see more of the same one hour material when it's presented in shorter, you know, 12 or 15 minute bits. They just, they focus uh, on, on that sh in that shorter format. Um, so we learned that. Jack was not quite happy. With... I was highly skeptical. Yes. Uh, I was totally in love with the one hour version. And I thought, well, this, this is approaching uh, or approximating the feel of an actual psychiatric session, you know, or therapeutic session. And it can't possibly work in a short form. And as Alexi said, what we've learned is it actually works at any length. <laughs> Uh, if when the actors are bringing their A game, when Elliot, the therapist, is bringing his A game, you know, it it just works at mm -hmm. at any length. Jack, uh, my friend, Jack Wetchner, exec uh, producer, or is it executive? Producer? I'm one of the executive producers. You're one of the along with Ronald Gutman and uh, Doug Schwalbe. Two questions for you. Uh, one is how how did you? Of course, the question is how, how you came on board and. Uh, your relationship with with uh, with uh, Alexi, but also part two: Do you have personal uh, experience with therapy yourself? Um, I dare say, just about everyone involved in this project has personal experience with therapy. I, I've been in therapy at various times in my life with various different therapists, and I have to say, it's helped me enormously. Um, a few years ago, I was really depressed. Um, the 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 only time in my life when I've been actually just in a total funk and uh, found a wonderful therapist to really help me out of it. Um, 
So yeah, I, I've never been in group therapy. Um, although I feel like I have, having spent so much time in sure. this uh, fictional group therapy world. Um, but backing up, uh, um, I actually met Alexi uh, at this point um, about uh, almost 30 years ago uh, when we were both expatriates in London, working in the film industry there. Uh, Alexi was running uh, Pathé, the uh, French uh, European distributor, and uh, I was uh, working at Channel 4 uh, on Film 4. And uh, so we met each other at that time, uh, but uh, had not actually stayed in contact. Um, but one of the other executive producers, our mutual friend, Doug Schwalbe, uh, um, was working at DreamWorks and advising Alexi through the making of uh, the first uh, web season, the first proof of concept, um, which I was not involved with making. And uh, as Alexi got uh, finished editing it and was ready to pitch it, uh, Doug said, you really need to find someone who can help you navigate the waters of American television and uh, um, sent it to me. And I thought, oh, God, you know, first of all, if it, you know, a show about group therapy, this this could be terrible. And second, you know, I, I like and respect Alexi. And what if his show is terrible? And what if I have to tell him how terrible it is? You know, uh, so I was kind of dreading it. And then I, of course, started watching it. And it was the opposite of terrible. It was extraordinary. Um, and it's one of the few times when I just thought, oh, yeah, I'm all in for this. I'll just, uh, wh wherever this goes, I, I want to be part of it. Uh, well, one one sort of uh, bad apple. Uh, it's not a, those are now police officers, right? Uh, so I have yes. to change the expression again. Uh, one, one weak actor could really just uh, sabotage this entire thing. It's it's a it's a link fence and or it's a chain, I should say. So uh, yep. um, I it works because to, uh, to be to, to be devil's advocate, I would say that one weak weak actor would be wonderfully interesting to introduce because <laughs> the, the group would well, make him be good. Elevate him. basically well, destroy what is weak. You about failed. Him. You failed at that. <laughs> the cast is amazing. Um, they are very good. Alexi yeah. can talk about how how they were. Uh, I was uh, okay. Do that, but I mean, I was at first a little distracted because they're all so beautiful, and uh, <laughs> I'm like, I don't remember this from my parents' group therapy in the 1970s. They were attractive people. That, uh, uh, Elliot Zeisel actually just uh, um, heard this from another therapist who was complimenting the show, but said, uh, I have to uh, call you out on one thing, which is I have never <laughs> had a group in 35 years that was this attractive. Yeah. It's not healthy to have a crush on a group, is it? <laughs> oh, it's super healthy. <laughs> it's part of the process. It's transference. <laughs> okay. Well, talk about the, yeah, the casting and uh, the actors and, um, you know, I mean, I think that actors and therapy go together. That's they're they're constantly psychoanalyzing. So, um, they're uh, yes, get... I, I think it's wonderfully interesting to see how close it is, but also how important it is to keep it separate. Uh, acting is not a therapy, uh, and therapy is not about acting. However, the the sort of bridges are numerous, and and the connections are close not to talk about the historical birth of psychoanalysis and cinema and modern acting. Uh, it, 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 it has followed, you know, historically um, 
a, a very similar path. Uh, and it's, it's, it's rarely being explored, you know, in, let's say, in a granular detail and in depth. Um, <clears throat> and just a little aside, I, you know, for 30 years, I worked in film and I sort of told myself, never will I approach the field of psychoanalysis. My father was a, a psychoanalyst and a psychiatrist and my great uncle and two uncles of mine, that basically was their field. And, uh, and I established a, 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 a border not to be crossed, um, which of course, my father passed away 80 years ago and that border became more interesting to explore and actually say, actually, I don't need that border. Uh, and that's how it became a very personal project of mine. I let what, what was supposed to be, you know, uh, a not, you know, a forbidden uh, uh, wall between that, these two worlds that are actually pretty interestingly close. You know, Hitchcock was fascinated by that and you know, mo a lot of great, uh, great filmmakers. And I insist on this because in the casting process, I was really looking for actors who would both have an understanding of the therapy process, not in beating group therapy, but, uh, you know, most had had some experience of individual therapy uh, or couples therapy. Uh, but I was not looking for that. I was looking for actors who would be able to run with the ball, who would be able to take the risk of <clears throat> creating a character uh, as it goes, uh, you know, building is, you know, as the plane was flying, building that plane while it was flying, uh, and uh, and and just not be defensive about uh, the more precious part of their emotional landscape. Um, I started casting in a more traditional way, one to one, and met some very interesting actors. Uh, but as soon as we did the second part of the test. Uh, a sort of test casting, which was to meet um, with Elliot and conduct a mini group, improvised group session. Some of the most, you know, convincing actors in a one-to-one -one, and because of their, you know, uh, their experience and their filmography um, or their work on stage, almost collapsed uh, in the group setting. They didn't have lines to say and it became too intense and too personal and too raw. On the other hand, some actors who had slightly less acting, you know, um, uh, prestige, uh, but were really all extremely intelligent, talented, creative, but more than anything, trusting their own skill and being ready to take risks with creating character on the fly. They revealed themselves to be fantastic in a group setting. So after sort of a month trying casting in a more, you know, the, the more conventional way, I started going directly in casting by, you know, casting myself uh, by doing improvised group session with uh, Dr. Zeisel, with myself playing a French filmmaker in New York and a couple of other um, of the actors. You know, uh, one of the reasons it worked well for the actors is that two of the, Two of the actors in what you saw are both professional you know, actors, but also uh, group members of Dr. Zeisel. 
Uh, and uh, that's true. Is, wow, it's the character of Frank and the character of Karina and Gabby Cohen uh, and Ezra Barnes, who are both brilliant actors, and we have and we have them come and, and they're joining us right now. Oh no! <laughs> I, I should. I, I was realizing. Uh, I should have. Uh, I should have, should have done nice. that. We should have invited them. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say should. We can do a second would, one. Would have been an opportunity. Yeah, we can do a part two because uh, mm-hmm. I think it would work very well. I can you hear me? I just feel trapped and I'm scared. The truth be told, you were trapped before COVID, and now you're trapped uh, with COVID. Activism ju- just isn't marching, protesting. Yeah. I didn't just learn that racism started yesterday. I haven't in been touched office. in two months. I also have been going on dates. Ah. You have an expiration date? I don't really want to talk about this right now. Okay. <clears throat> I guess we all have expiration dates, right? You know what? I'm pissed at all of you. I am fucking miserable, and I'm owning it. I'm angry at you. I think Why? you really... Because I think you milk your shit sometimes. Have your relationship in front of these people, and let's see what happens. I feel my heart beating fast. I feel it in my loins. I feel it, like, everywhere. But I also feel, like, panic in my head of, like, what are you getting into? I get in the car right now and drive to New York. I don't fucking care. I'm... Breaking rules left and right. What are you doing, Frank? Are you having an affair? I'm kind of turned on by your vulnerability and your boldness. I'm not ready to go back to rules as normal because the world isn't rules as normal yet. It's a new world. It's a different world. Yeah, they're wonderful. They love it. And they have been these two actors uh, who have, well, you know, who are real group members of Dr. Zeisel have help the other actors learn the language of group therapy, learn where to basically, where you you choose what to disclose and not to disclose. You don't need to reveal everything. You don't have to confess every little thing about yourself. You actually choose where you go. It is, uh, I keep comparing it to two things. Um, And the casting was very much like this. It is uh, like trapeze artists who are ready to do it without a net. It is more interesting for an audience. It gives you more of a feel of reality and the real risk that the trapeze artists are taking. If they do it from 10 feet high over concrete, then if they do it from 50 feet high with a safety net, we all know that if there is a safety net, they can't hurt themselves. We know that 10 feet high they can really hurt themselves doing a double or triple somersault and trusting one another to do so. And not, you know, some actors have that gift and have the intelligence of knowing their skill to do so. So to me, it was very much say, okay, you're a trapeze artist. We're going to do this just for 10 minutes, but we're not going to have a net. Are you good with that? Um, uh, and, and some are, and some say, no, I'm sorry, I can't do it. And it, it became a very simple casting process. You know, uh, uh, the, the, the actors who um, are in the show really were, it, it was obvious that they were, you know, they were, they were ready to go. And uh, we, did, we did rehearse. We never rehearsed the narrative situation, the scripted part. We didn't rehearse because I wanted it to be fresh. Otherwise, you know, improvisation doesn't really work if it's not fresh enough. But we rehearsed the backstory. And we rehearsed, basically, I told them, let's go six months before uh, the first, you know, proof of concept that you saw, the first web series. 
let's rehearse what happened in that group six months before, in three months before, in two weeks before. So we, we went into totally different stuff so that we wouldn't touch the, um, the right. narrative material that you're seeing, but it allowed them to really build their character. Right. Um, and, um, and to also go in that particular sort of surfing mode where they let some very personal emotional truth uh, be, you know, they, they, they sort of, they use uh, that fuel and that reality and they give them the costume of, um, of, of the character that is being created. It's a wonderful thing for actors, I think. Uh, it sounds like it's a wonderful opportunity for actors. Eight. Uh, I was thinking uh, if you really want to do an episode where you are, you know, work without a net, you could t optimize YouTube in the future at some point and do a live episode. We've talked about that. Uh, have we you? Had the, yeah, we have, although it's not a, so much that we've actually done it. Yeah, maybe. Sorry, Jeff? We, we, uh, the, the problem with doing that, uh, and I think the reason we haven't done it, is because so much of what you've seen is the product of painstaking and artful work by Alexi in post, uh, in which he is taking the, you know, the raw sessions and weaving them into uh, filmmaking. Uh, and that, you know, it, it's <laughs> for every, you know, minute that was shot, there's probably hours of post-production. It's a little stunty. Yeah. For this, yeah. Uh, what does it mean, stunty? Stunt. It's a bit of a... Oh, doing a live episode. Yeah, that's yes. right. It's a kind of a stunt, in a sense, and it's not really taking into account what you're trying to achieve in a broader way, you know, maybe. I think it would be interesting, but it, it, I, what would be different, you know, of course, there is the famous Orson Welles uh, quote of, you know, you write a film three times. First, when you do the script. Second when you shoot it and third in, in editing in post, because you it, post is really a form of writing. And um, especially because I let the, um, the camera and the actors run free with the ball for 90 minutes in every take, there was a lot of rewriting, let's say in post uh, I'm mixing, you know, take one and take three and take two things don't happen in the same order. So, Nothing is fake. It's all real. It's just, in a way, rebuilt in a narrative way uh, to help viewers. You know, I, I hope it, it doesn't, you know, my ideal is that people think it actually was the natural order of things. That's my goal. Uh, uh, but it's, you know, if you listen to the, if you listen to the, to the, the dailies, the 90-minute takes, it's very different. Uh, and I, I have to say there was one thing really critical and interesting about the editing is that um, I didn't know how to edit. And, and it's actually um, my friend, Luke Geispiller, the, the, uh, the DP, the cameraman, who said, maybe you should try doing what uh, they used to do in documentary. You do a radio cut. Radio cut is you don't take a look at any video. You just work with the sound. You do your radio cut. And then you find the, you know, the, the, the pictures that match it. And right. because this is so driven by um, talking and the special 
grammar of you know eight people, eight subconscious talking to one another, exchanging. I thought, ah, let's give it a go. Um, and so That's I got into that really it's bizarre. True, way, but also, I wanted to say. I'm sorry to interrupt. I was also going to say, though, that this is a case, it's true, it's all talk driven. So you might think it could work as a, and it could work as a radio audio experience as well, yeah. the show. However, interestingly enough, there's another layer to therapy where, uh, and the psychological process where you may not know that your body language is extraordinarily important. Yes, mm -hmm. for sure. Answer, of course. I but, mean, that's right. That that's why that's where I discovered something interesting. I discovered that if I first did a blind cut and my my first cut of the whole thing is always blind. I don't watch anything. I do it without you know I do it uh, completely on paper, uh, taking notes on the soundtracks. I put together the soundtrack and when I'm happy with the soundtrack or happy enough, I look at you know what what is you know, what is the video material we have, uh, the images? And uh, especially in season one, because, you know, season two was different. We had eight little iPhones. So I had plenty of material to cut from. In Just to be clear, one, even though it was the, the actors in season two interacted over Zoom and we did record the Zoom interface, but each actor was filming themselves with their own phone or camera. Right. And recording themselves yeah. with... Uh, that and with GarageBand. But in season one, I just Audio. had two cameras. One was on the therapist, this sort of a fixed camera on the tripod uh, to be able to cut. But then it was just one camera that was going around uh, in the room. And I realized that what I had cut blind, the radio cuts, about 30% of what I had was totally unusable visually. But I didn't want to change the cuts. So I worked for weeks on finding reaction shots that would be uh, meaningful reaction shots. And it, by, necess by necessity, in a way, it became a sort of um, editing style that is heavy on reaction shots, which I was comfortable with because that was my experience of being in group where, of course, you watch the person who's talking, but half the time, you are not watching the person who's talking. You're, you're watching the others, how they react, and you're watching their body language. And I realized I could use that constraint of my strange little method to the benefit of having something, you know, it, it was Milish Foreman uh, who famously shot uh, a number of scenes uh, by saying, if you have something very intense emotionally, take a, take a look at what the characters who's not talking is doing. Take a look at the reaction, the emotional reaction of the character who's involved in the scene but is not doing the talking. Um, so as audience members, we're really used to see the people who are doing the talking. But we are really, it becomes really interesting to see the people who are not doing the talking. Uh, and um, you may have noticed that the editing style is really heavy with reaction shots, where I, I really have, uh, have used that to, uh, to give the, the viewer a sense of how important the listening part is. Mm -hmm. The listening part by the therapist, whose profession it is to listen, but by other group members 
who the process becomes therapeutic because every group member tries to understand you know the person who's talking and that process which is very much a listening process is is the core of the method and so i wanted to film that as much as filming people who were talking and this style right. then becomes kind of cubed in season two because it, it you have uh, the eight actors each in their box and Alexi was very clear from the beginning that he didn't want to just uh, use the Zoom interface, which we're all heartily sick of, uh, and which also reduces each person to like, you know, a, a tiny little element in a mosaic. Yes. Um, and so the first cut of, of season two, uh, Alexi did it all in singles um, after the in introduction. Uh, which worked brilliantly well. And I thought, well, this is, you know, it's not going to get better than this. But Alexi was determined to actually use split screens and try and keep that feeling of each character listening to the others and spending as much time on the characters who aren't talking as the ones who are. And, uh, you know, I will say once again, I was skeptical, but it really paid off. And uh, over the course of the series, you just see these extraordinary moments where, it, the drama is carried not only by the person who is talking, but by uh, the the way that the others are reacting to that person. It yeah, it might be the first cinematic experience I've had watching those, you know the Zoom, essentially something shot with the Zoom technology. Well, thank you. I you dis know. we all dislike Zoom so much that it's the but only we way also we love can it. We we yeah, really love it because we need it okay. and oh, well, we grateful. survive through Zoom. But we can sort of use the good side of Zoom to recreate a visual experience. Um, there is, uh, but you opened up one 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 um, door for me because I wasn't. I've been in individual therapy and couples therapy, uh, but not group therapy either. Jack said he wasn't. It's never had group mm -hmm. therapy. Uh, but uh, and my assumption. I, about I will say I did have. Uh, I okay. don't, don't mean to cut you off, but I did have one day of group therapy in that Elliot Zeisel actually invited me to join one of his groups. That counts. Uh, and I, I, I did for one day. And first of all, uh, someone that I knew turned out to be in the group. So that was awkwardness number one. And awkwardness it number two was that when the other members of the group discovered that I was working with Elliot on the show, there was an enormous uproar and uh you know vitriol directed in all directions you know you know that i was just you know studying them like uh you right. know a, a, um, a lepidopterist you know and uh i i came out of it was one of the most fascinating experiences i've ever had and also watching elliot you know do his thing is you know he's a master at, at this craft but afterward i said there is no way I'm ever coming back to this group. And I'm kind of sorry <laughs> that I brought such chaos to your group. And Elliot said, are you kidding? That was a wonderful Love, session. Yeah, we right. got months of material out of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, also, well, I, I mean, people like me who have not experienced it, even though I was one degree from them, my parents, and they were part of our social world. My, my parents had parties or they, you know, I got to know their group members into, I mean, really well growing up. They were always, around they, they they socialized you know and um i was very fond of a number of them and so but i, I was going to say my assumption as somebody who's not been in group therapy was that it's about talking and getting response to your 
talking about your problems and you would it would open you up in a way maybe a different kind of way however i'm learning that it i have the maybe the opposite the inverse is the true where it's it's you as your experience listening to them that it's, it's it, even more complicated you, than that helps you uh, grow and learn about yourself one of the things that we've learned about group therapy in the course of doing this um is the whole history of group therapy is fascinating, that it really grew out of uh, World War II, where there weren't enough therapists to work with the returning veterans who desperately needed therapy. So right. in yes. desperation, uh, yes. as a last resort, they had multiple patients working with one wow. therapist, but they found that those patients were actually doing better than the ones in individual therapy. Makes sense. So that there was something going on in the group process that they then had to study and codify and uh, Irvin Yalom, uh, the uh, writer of the book, The Schopenhauer Cure, was one of those uh, pioneering uh, therapists, as was a guy named uh, Lou Ormont, who was Elliot Seisel's mentor. And, uh, and they eventually came to codify this whole theory of group therapy, which is that uh, the, the members of the group you know, it's sort of the way that you have a transference with your individual therapist and individual therapy, where it's actually not a bug, but a not a bug, but a feature that you actually, you know, see your father, see your uh, lover, you know, see your spouse in your therapist. That that, in fact, in group therapy, you're kind of sprinkling all the different people that you were dealing with, forces you were dealing with, parts of yourself you were dealing with into the other members of the group. Um, so yeah, uh, listening to the other, it's not just listening to the other members of the group, but engaging with the other members of the group and experiencing their struggles really as sort of a proxy for whatever you are dealing with. And what's remarkable is, you know, I think that's actually kind of going on for people who watch this show. And we've gotten that comment. Uh, I think uh, Alexi's girlfriend, Tracy, was the first person who said that, that I feel like I'm going through group therapy by proxy just by watching the show. And a lot of people have actually said that, uh, that, you know, it obviously it isn't targeted therapy and that we don't know what your problems are when you watch this. We can't promise that the concerns of the group are going to re resonate with your problems in your own life. But I do think there is an experience that you have in going through these events, these uh, these issues, these concerns with these characters that I always come out feeling better. Yeah, no, I, I, I think just their um, moments of clarity and of uh, catharsis, catharsisism. Catharsis, yeah. Catharsis, thank you. Uh, uh, you, it's uh, it's hard not to um, uh, join them on those moments uh, when I was watching. You know, I mean the the opening two episodes of the second season, as we said, were in quarantine over Zoom and discussing all the uh, emotions <clears throat> that we're all experiencing through yep. this period, and it's a very, it's cathartic watching that. You know. Um, yeah, there, uh, there is, you it, know, when you, you know, go to group once a week, um, there are two things about it that to me are very particular and interesting as, and unique to it is that it's an experience in unpredictability. You never know what's going to happen. You know that there are moments where 
it's going to be moving, uh, emotionally touching, and moments that's going to be generally funny. I have never been to a 90-minute session of group of, of, of Zizel where I didn't really laugh and didn't really either cry or want to cry. But it was never for reasons I could have foretold, you know, the minute I entered the room. It was always a surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it happened in the same way uh, in, you know, in our film sessions. The tears and the laughters are some of them are, are the unscripted films. Uh, I know that the narrative situations can lead themselves to moments of comic relief or moments of genuine emotion, but the tears and the laughter is never, you know, this is the time where you're going to go for comic relief. It just happens by itself. By It's a balance, it's a necessary balance of, you know, eight or nine psyches being in the same aquarium for 90 minutes, it goes deep in drama, in distress, but it goes funny as well, which I always thought was the, uh, you know, the, 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 the heart, the core of the project is that compared to uh, other filmed um, productions that show individual sessions or couples therapy, when you have eight people in the room, it becomes so dynamic it becomes so unpredictable and it becomes so funny at times at moving in ways that is like this eight band ping pong of subconscious that you have no idea where it goes. That's the first experience I had and I wanted to sort of transcribe and, and, and re- represent it on screen. The second is that even if you are uh, experiencing some, some intense emotions, you leave the room, you know, uh, a feel-good mood is really, uh, doesn't even come close to it, but it does come a little close to it, is that uh, there is something of a, um, it's a very special mental mood you're in at that you walk out of that session compared to the one you walk in. You know, we live New Yorker lives that are full of stress and pressure and, and, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and stresses. Uh, I don't find the right words, but basically we have a hard time to take a step back and go into something more uh, deep, more personal, more emotional. When we do this, it doesn't make you sad. It doesn't make you, you know, happy, happy, but it puts you in a different space, mental space, when you walk out of these sessions and I want, I I was basically, my goal is to create that feeling after you view uh, either a session, but more likely a season that you're in a different mental space and it's, it might be uncomfortable, but there's also something that is comforting about it. Um, And, and it's a very particular mood. It's actually not dissimilar to going to a great you know, music uh, production, live music. Uh, you go whether it's whether it's a jazz session or or the opera. In a certain mood, you come out, and your heart and your soul is just in a different space. There is something in its own respect different, but not dissimilar with uh, with the experience of group. Uh, because one of the critical things, which is some misunderstanding, lots of people have, is that. Group therapy is not about support. 
people are not there to support one another. They're not there to pat themselves in the back. Actually, the first lesson you, you get quickly in group therapy is that it's confrontational. That it is the confrontational, it's basically taking, you know, not, not accepting any bullshit. If there's anything fake, it's going to be called on. It's going to be called on it, yeah. Uh, and that process of people really saying what they feel and what they think in the moment is a sort of lit, it's an acid test of truth that eventually is tough, but really uh, beneficial and, and really heartwarming. Uh, it's, the series is called Therapy. You can find it on YouTube. You it's go to called, YouTube. No, the seri series is called Group. Group. Let me yes. rephrase. <laughs> Thank you very much. The series is called Group. You can find it on YouTube. What's the exact address so people can? Uh, I actually have it right here. Uh, if you go to um, uh, YouTube.com/slash uh, uh, group the series, all one word. YouTube.com, and if you if you search YouTube for group or group the series, uh, yeah. I have to say uh, it. Uh, one of the problems with having a show called Group is if you Google Group you'll just find lots of things that have nothing to do with our show. If you Google group the series, it'll come right up. It, uh, but we have now finally started to get enough views on YouTube that if you just put group into YouTube, we come up pretty quickly. That's good. That's great. But we'll provide the link on our, you know, uh, show notes and all that stuff anyway. But um, subscribe is my point, you know, and, um, uh, you know, um, it's directed, written, by Alexi Lloyd and uh, executive produced uh, in part, right, by, by Jack Lechner. Yeah, along with uh, Ronald Gutman and uh, Doug, uh, Doug Schwabe. Um, yeah, it's great. Um, uh, I, I, I urge people to check it out. And, um, you know, merci, messieurs. Thank you, merci. Adam. Merci, monsieur uh, Adam. <laughs> thank you. Uh, and uh, we'll do it again. I'd love to do it again, maybe. Uh, I don't know. Uh, wait, we can invite, uh, um, you know. Some actors. Yeah, that would be great Kaiser. because they are yeah. extraordinary. Yeah, uh, truly. And, um, you know, it's great to see such great, it, again, it's very immersive. It's, it's, it, there's an element of theater, of, of having a theater experience as well, um, stage type of experience too. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then the, we can maybe invite the doctor. Yes, yep. true. See how, how far he's going to go in this. Um, thank you, guys, and um, I'll, I'll look forward to seeing all, uh, all of the uh, second season as soon as possible. Let's get, thank get you, busy. Thank all you, right. Adam. Thank you. Okay, now we have my old friend, Sam Pollard. This is Sam's fifth appearance on the podcast. This is the shortest one we've ever done, actually. Uh, it's a relatively brief conversation. You can find prior conversations with Sam on episodes 232, 382, 472, and 611. And now, 
he's back to discuss again this new documentary, Using Archive, about Martin Luther King Jr. here on the cusp of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday holiday on Monday. Perfect timing. The film is available in theaters around the country, not in New York, but in other theaters. It's also available on streaming platforms. Very easy to find. Go to mlkfbi.com for details. But here is my buddy, Sam Pollard, editor, director, producer, here on Film Wax Radio. Violence is self-defeating. He who lives by the sword will perish by the sword. You know, when you construct a man as a great man, there's nothing almost more satisfying than also seeing him as the opposite. When the National Archives puts government documents up on the web, one has to confront them. Tapes from the hotel rooms, FBI reports, those are pieces of information that we shouldn't have. The FBI was most alarmed about King because of his success. He realized how sick this country was. We were trying to reveal the truth about segregation. J. Edgar Hoover is famous for saying that he feared the rise of a black messiah. The FBI says it's clear Martin Luther King Jr. is the most dangerous Negro in America, and we have to use every resource at our disposal to destroy him. J. Edgar Hoover was the head of the FBI for 48 years. The FBI's focus was collecting salacious sexual material of King with various girlfriends. Hoover had made the speech that Martin Luther King was the world's most notorious liar. Now what am I going to do about Martin Luther King? Look to me like he's too far gone. This was a way that they could bring down a very influential black civil rights leader and contain the movement. The FBI mailed a tape of Dr. King with other women to him and to Coretta with an advice that he should go kill himself. Staying calm under fire is very hard when people are trying to kill you. Anybody who was to the left of mainstream in civil rights was deemed a subversive. They use surveillance in order to foment violence and break apart these organizations. They were running a surveillance state. This represents the darkest part of the Bureau's history. How's your son, man? Oh, he's good. Thank you. Thanks for asking. How you doing? Hey, man, not bad. Hanging in. <laughs> it's been a, it's been quite a year. Yeah, not bad. You know, you know how things are. Well, you, for most people, I do. You are perhaps going into a, a really, really busy few weeks here, a winter. That's going to be all about Sam Pollard. Well, you know, you know, I got, I got another film opening up in about three weeks, man. I don't even want to hear. I don't know. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to. You got, you got <laughs> after, after MLK FBI. Yeah, man. MLK FBI opens. Something's wrong with this guy. Start premieres tomorrow, January fifteenth, right? I know. 
And yeah. then on fe- February 9th on HBO, another film that I finished this past, just I'm finishing it as we speak, called Black Art in the Absence of Light, premieres on oh, HBO. Yeah. yeah. When we talked, I don't remember, you know, the last time was not that long ago, but we talked about, God, who knows, but it was leading up to MLK. And I remember we touched on that. And then you also mentioned this, the Black Art film. So yeah, uh, this is coming out on February 9th, HBO. Okay, I made a note for that. <laughs> That's good. But let's talk about MLK FBI. Plus, there's a retrospective tribute. Yeah. That film, films at Walt, the film at Lincoln Center is uh, yeah, going I know, to man. be also starting tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there a convergence here, though? One thing I, I probably could uh, figure out, I couldn't figure out on my own, but it, so uh, IFC is distributing, uh, IFC Films, rather, is distributing MLK FBI, mm-hmm. but it's launching this retrospective as well. So Yeah, man. Right? So people can go to the film at Lincoln Center virtual yeah, you can site virtual. And, and watch yeah. that starting tomorrow. Yeah. And then the rest of the tribute, which includes two trains, Sammy Davis Jr. of Gotta Be Me, Maynard, and uh, When the Levees Broke. Just an amazing... You know, what can <laughs> I say? What can I say, Adam? Documentary cinema at its finest, everybody. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, I think you come I on maybe f- for most of those films, except maybe not the Spike Lee. But... Yeah, you know, I directed, of the films you named, I directed three of them. Yeah, I know. The other one I'm a producer on. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, and I'm going to also try to slim it at the very end, going back to T-Town, which you co-produced, because I just got to watch that. I had not seen it back in the 90s when it came out. Would you see Would you see that? At? Well, you know, I have my ways. All right. Because that's, you know, that's going to be on, on, on the American Experience next month, too. I know. That's why I'm <laughs> kind of saying this is getting out of hand. <laughs> what happened to all the other documentary filmmakers? They're just, I don't uh, know, they man. just went into early retirement. And yeah, you just, yes. Well, we were talking about, I did see MLK FBI at the New York Film Festival on my couch. Good. <laughs> Which, you know, I, I upgraded my screen. I've since upgraded the audio here in my, my, my home, my home upstate now. It's like I'm having cinematic experiences. So I was able to enjoy MLK FBI. Good. Good. You know, in a nice way. So, uh, virtually. So, while we're not in theaters, uh, we're still managing to uh, appreciate such a film. Thank you. When did you um, to tell a little bit about the origin story of, of that, um, of MLK? We know that uh, the FBI, of course, was uh, after him. They were blackmailing him. They were trying to take him down. They were conspiring. Well, we we came up with the idea originally from a book we read by the historian David Garrow, who's in the film. He had written a book about King and the FBI and Hoover. And both myself and my producer, Ben Hadeen, we read both read the book and we thought this would be our next film actually because we had done two trains running together. So we reached out to uh, David Garrow, took an option out on his book. Then we flew out to Pittsburgh where he lives. We got a camera crew. We went to his house, Adam, and we spent about four hours with him, basically him talking about the, 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 the contents of the book, you know, the relationship of King with the FBI and the, the intense relationship. And that interview that we did with David 
he sort of became the framework of the film. And you can, as you know, a lot of his voice is in the film. Then we put together a sizzle reel. And we put together a budget and a proposal. And we started beating the bushes, trying to raise the money. And we didn't get any really feelers until early 2019. Two companies, Field of Vision and Play Action, both came in with the major funding for the film, which enabled us to then go in the fall and interview Clarence Jones, Andy Young, two historians, Beverly Gage and Donna Murch, and two FBI people, former agent named Chuck Knox, who's based in Texas. And then uh, Ben suggested we reach out to James Comey. And I initially said, you think he'll do an interview? And he says, why not give it a shot? So we reached out to Comey. And to my surprise, he said, yes. Well, an interview where he doesn't have to talk about Trump, it sounds... Yeah, refreshing and yeah. welcome. I can imagine. And it was originally supposed to be initially supposed to be on camera, and then he was a, he wasn't able to do it on camera, and so we did an audio interview with him, which was about twenty twenty five minutes, and we were able to get some stuff, good stuff out of it. And I think the thing that's most interesting is his statement that this chapter to him was the darkest period in the history of the FBI from his perspective. You know, so and again, the other thing that's interesting too, Adam. This is one of the first documentaries that I have done as a director where I, had, I hadn't gone out and interviewed 25 people and then whittled, whittled, got it down to 15. This time, we only interviewed like Cheney, I mean, Comey, Knox, Merch, Gage, David Garrow, Clarence Jones, Andy Young, and then we interviewed one other person, eight people. That's all we have interviewed to tell the whole story. You know. Wow. How does that impact the film? Does it? I don't think, I think it really helped it. I think by having these only seven voices really primarily tell the story, I think it keeps you engaged. And the fact that you don't see them on camera, if I think if it had just, if you had put them on camera, you would have felt, well, there's not many people here. What's the, you know, how far can this story, how deep can the story be? I think by having the people as voiceover, and, and having the audience really get engaged in the visual material and the audio material from that period was a real sort of creative, you know, sort of moment where you say the audience will, if the audience is really into this material, they won't want to see anybody on camera. They don't want to have the, the spell broken. They will be engaged in the material. Did you work backwards from Comey then in the sense of were you originally planning on having them on camera, your, your six other talking heads, or, and no. then you lost Comey's v- visuals and you thought, well, maybe we should try. No, was always no. the idea? Always the idea. Even before we. So, even, oh, so no wonder. Okay. Yeah. Even before we even did the interview with, with uh, Garrow, I had said to Ben, this should be a film where no one's on camera. Cause I had seen in 2011, that documentary black power mixtape. Oh, sure. He's filmmaker. And the thing that really engaged me, and it got me engrossed in the materials. The fact that I never saw anybody on camera. I'm just into the footage of the 70s. And then you have people like Angela Davis and Belafonte and others talking, but you don't see them on camera. And that sort of was sort of my idea. And also, when I did the Sinatra doc, All or Nothing at All, that Gibney directed, nobody was on camera in that one. Because we had, we had had hours and hours of audio from Sinatra that Tina Sinatra had done with her father when she did that a miniseries on TV. And she sat down with a tape recorder and had Sinatra basically 
tell her, tell her his life. And so we used only audio. And then we did interviews for Sinatra with other people. We didn't shoot anybody on camera. It was all audio interviews. I wonder if the average person even really cares. I don't think they do. I don't think so. And it's happening more and more. You know, the Belushi documentary that's out, the Belushi documentary that RJ did, the documentary about Bruce Lee. Nobody's on camera. Mm -hmm. Nobody's Mm -hmm. on camera. Well, because the figures, the subjects are so... um, Compelling. Larger than life. You you just don't really require... Yeah, it's, it's... is uh MLK Junior Day? That's is that Monday? Monday. Yeah, Monday. Monday. Yeah. What a coincidence. <laughs> um. What? So I mentioned a little bit going into it. The. Uh, I mean, I'm familiar with with this side of uh, the story, but what, if anything, did you surprise you? Maybe uh, if if I don't know if you're. If you can experience surprises anymore, if anybody can anymore, but did were there any surprises when, as you were making this, did you find out anything new that that sort of, you know, you didn't predict? The, the biggest surprise, you know, is how how dastardly the FBI, how far they would go to discredit Dr. King. I mean, it's one thing to to wiretap him because they think he's a member of the Communist Party or he's flirting with the Communist Party because his relationship with Stan Levinson. But it's another thing to 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 eavesdrop on his personal life and then to use that personal material and send it to his wife and then to create a letter. To create a letter basically intimating that this man should maybe consider killing himself. I mean, that's pretty pretty disgusting, you know, Adam. Pretty low. Yeah. He was a. Uh, is it true that he uh, that the FBI were trying to urge MLK to commit suicide? Also, Coretta. Well, I don't know if it's Coretta so much, but the way the way I read the letter is they want King to commit suicide. That's the way I read it. Mm-hmm. You know. Okay, I thought I had, I thought I had heard recently that um, that she was also um, you know they also contacted her separately. But you think that. Uh, I've never heard that, but you know, listen, I wouldn't put it past them. And you, it, the film premiered at was it Toronto? It premiered at Toronto. It premiered at the New York Film Festival. It was on Telluride's list of films, even though they didn't have a festival. You know, it's played in a bunch of festivals around the country. It's really, you know, I was saying to someone, you know, I've done a lot of films, but I never had a film get so much love right out of the gate. You know, I mean, it's been pretty phenomenal, man. And I think that, you know, this process of uh, getting the film out there has been um, fantastic in terms of what IFC has been doing with this film. I, I got to applaud the the, 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 the the creativity in getting this film out to people. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, where you were originally hoping to, I was going to say, it's, it's such a, uh, challenging time to release. A, it's been such a challenging time to release a film, but now it's sort of normal. It's been a year or close to a year where we've yeah, been... you know, we kind of hoped. You know, I mean, I, I would be honest. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be. I would be. I wouldn't be honest if I didn't say to you. I would, we had hoped that by this point there'd be you know some theaters, and I think there will be. I mean, not in New York, no. But I think in other states there are theaters that are open that people can go see it. But you can also stream it. So, right. I mean, one of the things I said to to um, 
the folks who are supporting this film and helping get this film out there, my biggest hope is that as many people as possible see it. If that means virtually, yes. If that means some going to theaters, yes. Right. But I really want as many people as possible as many people as possible to see the film. Well, I think a lot of people will see it. Um, I hope, and I certainly will urge people to do it. And um, so again, that's going to be MLK FBI in virtual, virtually streaming as well as in theaters yeah, around um, the country. I think you would have to. I mean, I you know technically I don't know how how that's done, but I guess you know. Danielle can tell you. Yeah, if you're on, Danielle, if you want to pop in, feel free because I want to make make sure people know how to best uh, you know see the film. Um, it's it's because it, it could be a film film at Lincoln Centers. Anyway, regardless, the films, the films at Lincoln Centers are all virtual too. Oh yeah, no, I understand that, and then, um, so all of the retrospective as well as MLK FBI is going to be on their virtual site, yeah. uh, and that should be pretty easy to find. Film at Lincoln Center. Now, if we ha- I think we might have a few minutes here. I-, I just wanted to talk about this film. I it's another story that just seems to cut <laughs> thirty years after the telling, almost twenty eight years to be specific. I think this film, which is going to be on American Experience on the eighth of February on PBS, um, T Town is going. Yeah, thanks for see, you, you know more. Than, you know more than I do. I didn't know that. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm wired in. I'm, I'm I've. I've got all the uh, the contacts. So going back to T Town, this is a story also I was familiar with, but I didn't realize there were there there were kind of like there were, were waves um, of, and we're sort of watching it today and seeing the waves of of racial of racism of racial discrimination of bigotry that run through uh, this country and and now. Not that it ever ends, but when I say the waves, I just mean it gets to a certain uh, point where it's everything. It's sort of encompassing our, our uh, um, the, 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 the conversation, the national conversation now more than ever. So seeing the film kind of brings it back. This was a, a city, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, in the uh, 20s, which uh, it was actually a park, Greenville? Greenwood. Greenwood, excuse me, Greenwood, which is a, I guess, like a, a section of, of uh, Tulsa, right? It was, it was a segregated community in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that had sort of people were self-contained, had their own businesses and stuff. It was segregated, but they were able to thrive and, and grow. And as you saw in the film, there was this, you know, this rumor that a young black man had accosted this white woman, right. which was, again, the match, the thing that lit the match. The match that lit the flame, you know, and uh, literally in this case, yeah, and they went into the community and they burned it to the ground and killed people again. And you know, the thing that was the thing that you probably realize is as you're watching it, which we saw in last week, what we saw last week at the, in the attack on the Capitol, Adam, is not an anomaly. It's it's in part of American history. It's part of DNA. Anytime a group of people, extremists, basically say we don't like what's going on. We're going to go in there and tear it down and destroy it and lynch people. And it's been happening happening in Black communities for years. And that's what you see in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1921. You know, one moment is a, a moment to go in and destroy a community. It happened later in Rosewood in Florida. You know, it happened in 1898 in Wilmington, North Carolina. I mean, it's, it's, it's a part of this country's sort of DNA where they say, we don't like it. 
We're going to tear it down. We're going to destroy it. You know, it's it's frightening. The and we're by the way, this May will be the hundredth anniversary of the the massacre in Tulsa that you're yeah. we're talking about. And then, uh, but what's also particularly disturbing, because these are issues we've really never reconciled. Not really enough to maybe placate or make certain people feel good about themselves, but we've never really dealt with it straight, straight on and certainly not nearly enough, but what's particularly disturbing. And again, you mentioned last week, no difference from what happened in 1921 no. is that there were also the, the very people that are supposed to protect us, our police, our were right. They were part of the, yeah. you're involved. So it's a hundred years and it's depressing as hell. <laughs> Not the film, but the subject matter, because uh, we haven't made very much progress in those hundred years. No. As it turns out. Good, good, good that you, you said, Adam. Thanks for filmmakers like yourself who are uh, reminding us, you know, and uh, kind of couching it in, in the form of entertainment. But I, I call it a history, an important history lesson. Hmm. Um, so uh, then with the last thing, I think we have a minute or so or two left. This is not, this is maybe, maybe this is good because typically I have you on and I just kind of ramble usually, on with you. Usually you and I are together for a couple of hours, man. Well, on a good day, but that's when we break out the bourbon. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. I don't mean that. We we had a great meeting. What was this? What was that upstate town we met in? What town? Oh yeah, that's nearby. Rosendale? Yeah, we met there and had that that restaurant. And then My son was there. there, yeah. I do remember that was what you showed. That was when you, I saw two trains running. Yeah. And then you came to NYU once where your tape recorder wasn't working or something. I didn't bring it. That's right. You forgot it. <laughs> I forgot my equipment. You have a good memory. Thanks. I, I will, I'm going to admit at one point at, at, at this juncture, because when I came to NYU the second time, we talked about Sammy Davis and Maynard because they were right. released kind of together. But anyway, um, uh, I also had a techno. I just, I've had, I mean, the, the time in, at the Woodstock Film Festival at Rosendale went smoothly without a hitch, but almost every time I've had like a technical problem. It's like mercury and retrograde, but I'm not going to look at it as a negative thing. I'm going to look at it as a... Look at it as a positive, man. You're one of my favorite people that, yeah. I bring, that I've had on. That's why I keep asking to bring you back on. I always enjoy talking to you, man. Always awesome. enjoy it. All right, so MLK FBI, catch that uh, virtually, and I'll have every, all the details and links in the show notes for sure, and they'll be accurate. And then uh, check out the Sam, the tribute to, uh, or the retrospective of Sam's five or six films, four, five, four or five, five films, five yeah. films. They're also going to be showing throughout the next week from the 15th through the 22nd of January. And then we'll remind people in February about the... American Experience documentary going back to key. And also also yeah. the HBO one too. Right? And then the HBO yeah. one on February 9th. That's right. The next day. Yeah. So we'll do another one. We'll talk about the black art in a few weeks. Okay, cool. We'll do it again. All right. All right. All right. Thank you very much, everybody. We will be back in a few days with a brand new episode, of course. Many more friends of the podcast are returning. Do keep tuning in uh, to the podcast. Take a moment 
go to the Apple Podcast, whatever app you're using on your phone or your tablet or computer, and please do write us a review and uh, leave us a star rating if there is such an if there is such an option. I, I don't have to tell you that the way new listeners find this podcast is by recommendations and algorithms on their apps and so the best way for that to come up is lots of reviews so rather than oh we do have a patreon account i could probably going to work on that in the coming weeks to get it a little bit more prominent but in the meantime if you do want to do a, a moment's worth of help for me and the podcast go to that app and do leave us that review and star rating and uh, it's invaluable truly thank you for that I mean, it's been chaotic and crazy out in the world, but we're entering a new time. It's exciting because it's a new chapter and there's new possibilities and um, hopefully help is on the way for many people. I wish you well. Take care of yourselves and the ones you love. Until next time. Strange, broken threads, broken spring.